We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Big Blue Banter here. This one's going to be a little different. It's going to be live and unplugged, just me and Nick's rapid reactions to the first Giants preseason game, Giants-Browns. There's a lot to talk about, even though, let's be honest, the Giants didn't game plan for this game. I actually saw Jeff Schwartz, uh, the former Giants offensive lineman turned NFL analyst, point this out on Twitter, and he's exactly right. The Browns came in with a game plan because that's what they do. That's what they want to do to give some confidence to a young team that had zero wins in 2017 that's featured on Hard Knocks and that has coordinators like Todd Haley and Greg Williams, who that kind of fits their personalities. The Giants didn't game plan, but there were still a lot of good things to take away. And this this is going to be this podcast is going to be more of a free flowing conversation with me and Nick. We're going to dive into some of the things we learned, some of the stock up, stock down for players, and some things the Giants need to improve on. So. Nick, how's it going today? It's going real good. Friday afternoon. Uh, it's almost the weekend, but uh, it cannot not talk about the Giants. Like we got to do this. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We had to get into it because it's raw. It's fresh in our minds. And obviously, I haven't done um, a review of this game. Nick, have you had a chance to watch this for a second time yet? Not, not a lot of the specific plays, yes, but not in its entirety, no. Okay, and that's great because you're probably going to be able to dive into more of those specific plays and some of the players that really stood out to you when you went back in because I saw you've been you know, dropping stuff on cover one, some, a lot of, a lot of good analysis from last night's game. Um, I guess I'll kick us off with some of the things that really interest me, uh, aside from obviously, you know, the fact that, you know, Giants didn't game plan for this game. I think that, you know, you saw a lot of people worrying about the first team offense today on Twitter. Obviously they only had two series. And to me, it seems like an odd thing to worry about this first team offense. One had two series, two, 11 snaps and three, most importantly, they didn't target Barkley once. 
Odo Beckham Jr. was not on the field, and Evan Ingram wasn't targeted. So you're talking about three players that are going to probably be one, two, three in targets when the season is all finished and all said and done, and they weren't involved at all in the Giants' offense last night. So for that reason alone, I think it's a, people are a little bit rushing to uh, judgment on the first-team offense. Obviously, the blown pass production wasn't great, but that's what happens when Greg Williams designs some kind of exotic blitz. Not that exotic, but when Greg Williams schemes a blitz in a preseason game, uh, and the Giants just weren't ready for it because they weren't really game-planning against what the Browns could show them from a unique blitz standpoint because that's just what's going to happen in the first preseason game. I don't know. Do you see that any differently, or do you have any thoughts to add on the first-team offense? Yeah, the offense on the offensive line is just going to take a little while in terms of guys recognition on that play that you mentioned that was just a cross dog blitz uh from the two in- the two interior linebackers crossing and basically the center john jalapio believe it was man uh, pass protection scheme he had to pick one of those guys and basically the running back would take the next man which which would be deemed most dangerous coming down the middle it just a simple kind of mistake <laughs> mistake that happens kind of often especially early in in, in, in guys, and sorry, lines kind of life almost, if you will. You know, most people talk about how like their schemes aren't that different that linemen run from team to team, so it should be easy. But the bottom line is it's like orchestrating basically like a play, and all these guys have to know how to communicate to each other and then get used to that in the heat of the moment. So that's what this practice, that's what we're seeing is this practice of reps against a live, live, uh, a live opponent versus each other. So there are there will be mistakes, and what you want to see is you want to see improvement from some of the guys that we're going to go over on, on uh, you know that are battling for positions, some of the younger players and some of the newer guys to the team to see how they fit. Right, and I mean that again. It's a, it's I'm not trying to say it was some kind of exotic blitz, but it's a simple mistake I think that Jalapio and Stewart uh, uh, can can you know get through. And at the same time, I don't personally expect Stewart to take many of these third down snaps. I don't think Stewart's going to be the third down back when all is said and done. <laughs> And we'll get to that a little bit later, but to me, Wayne Goldman looked like the clear-cut number two as far as uh, productions from a production and talent standpoint last night uh, in, in the limited action he got. And at the same time, I also think Saquon Barkley is going to be more of a factor on third downs than people realize because he's actually uh, very good for a rookie in pass production. So that was one thing that interested me. Another thing I thought was interesting, Nick, and you can dive into this, was the push-up front from the Giants' offensive line. So sure, they had some issues in the passing game with password action, but in the run game, the Giants really blocked well, I thought. Um, and this really wasn't just the, the the run blocking from the first team unit. We're talking about really throughout the entire game. The Giants ran for 134 yards and just 23 carries, a 5.8 yards per carry average. Um, you know, for comparison's sake, the Browns ran the ball, and we'll get to that later, but had a much worse clip. And really, if you look at some of the plays and some of these you put up on your Twitter last night, the five-yard touchdown run from uh, running back Jalen Simmons, that was a really well-blocked play. And then even on the play that Barkley tried to stretch out the outside and he, you know, turns it into a three or three or four-yard green, there was a huge push up front. And I know Brian yeah. Baldinger, who does a lot of this type of analysis uh, with, with the tape, put, pointing this out. But the, the right side of the line on that play with Flowers, Gerald Adams was in the game blocking with Rhett Ellison, the two tight ends. They really created a massive push up front. And then, obviously, we can talk a little bit more about this, and I'm going to set it up, Nick, because I know you did a lot on this. So if you want to dive into this play and the and the run from Simmons, jump right in. But the, the, the 39-yard run with Saquon Barkley, that was really, really textbook blocking from both Rhett Ellison and Evan Ingram, who started the game as co-starters in the 12-personnel two-side end packet. So what did you see on those plays, Nick, and what do you think? Is it a sign of good things to come? Yeah, absolutely. On the uh... – 
it's almost a little bit of a double-edged sword with Barkley highlighted on that big run because you see him take inside zone to the weak side and quickly cut it back to the backside. When you cut it back to the backside early, that drives some coaches crazy. Obviously, with Barkley, it's not going to drive it's not going to drive anybody mm-hmm. crazy, but um, you know it limits the it limits the play a little bit. It limits against different fronts. It kind of limits what uh, what the blocking can do and can be and how it can be set up. Uh, but what you saw on the backside, to your point, was 100 percent on. Um, Evan Ingram last year, if you watch his tape, blocking wise, it's I mean, look, it's kind of it's a disaster basically. I mean, he was pretty much combat ineffective. And here, the, on like the very first play for scrimmage, you're seeing him not only get good leverage on an almost a hinge block on the backside, but then stay with his man, then show great recovery when he kind of lost him for a quick second, and then finish the block. And so for me, that was awesome just to see, number one, obviously Barkley's patience to be able to take all that, and Ellison's good block too. He finished very strong there as well. Uh, but that, that, they're gonna, you're going to see that play a lot. It's not some play that they're going to run every so often. They're actually going to build kind of a foundation, I think, I think, off of inside zone because you can use easy RPOs off of it. You can show different looks. And as they showed on the, uh, on the touchdown, too, that you mentioned, that was a very simple inside zone with a, uh, with a kicker re, a kicker boot, um, boot-like look from the quarterback just to hold the defensive end. And so, again, very vanilla schemes like you're talking about. Like, they didn't really want to show a lot of the playbook. But at times, I think the line executed and, and, and had a push. The double-edged sword with Barkley, not to just to keep on going, but the double-edged sword part with Barkley, to your point about the line push later on a few plays later in the game, um, Barkley has to find a way to lower his pad level, run ah. tight, yeah, pad level, yeah. and, and run tight and get, get behind his blockers. And some guys, on I don't know if you noticed on Twitter, it becomes like a... It's almost like we're calling out Barkley's manhood or something by saying that he should do that. We're not. It's it's more just saying get in a good position to, the scouts love to use this term, fall forward. When you fall forward, you can get one to two extra yards. Well, if you're two to three yards downfield already, they were talking about a five-yard gain. That's your job. And so it's. I think it's just, it's, it's almost a mentality thing. It's For him, it's, it's a vision thing, getting used to it at the pro level. That's exactly right, Nick. He has to get used to it. This was his biggest issue at Penn State. Like, you can't – people have to have thick skin online. It's like you right. say one thing about Barkley and everybody goes off on you. But, listen, he wasn't a perfect prospect. He's a very good prospect. I think he made it pretty clear why he's such a crazy yeah. good prospect. And they didn't even use him yet in the passing game. That's going to be really where he makes one of his biggest where, – where he really can stand out as well. But he had issues with negative run runs at Penn State. Now, Penn State's offensive line was not very good. And their offensive scheme did not do him any favors running that shot, that weird shotgun scheme. But like you said, even on that run that I talked about where the front, where the right side of the line got a really good push up front, even if you want to say, okay, Barkley couldn't have jammed that inside because there was a safety, it was either safety or linebacker who filled the hole. If he does cut and, and slam into that guy, he has enough power and he can lower his bad level to the point where he can drive that to a four or five yard run. The safety was not on balance. He could have, he had enough space to drive through him. And then even if he doesn't, the first bounce out there, uh, Ellison and Adams are holding the block enough to the point where he can cut that back right there and pick up four or five yards. Instead, he bounced outside. I think he ended up getting three or four yards on the play, but that's only because he broke a tackle at the very end of the run where a different kind of, you know, a bit different uh, defensive back fills there. It's probably a one yard. It's either a one yard gain or a no gain on that play. So that was interesting to me um, with regards to that. And then you mentioned it up front with, with, with what, you know, the improvement you see from Evan Ingram. And I think this is really going to be a big factor this year because Ingram is going to have to block. They're going to run the ball a lot. This is a team that ran the ball. The th- or this is an offensive coordinator with Pat Shermer 
that ran the ball the third most times in the NFL last season despite losing Dalvin Cook. We can't forget that. And today, during his conference call with reporters, Shermer said, you know, if you continue to commit to the run, you're going to get those big splash plays when you have a running back like Saquon Barkley. And I talked to Evan Ingram earlier this offseason in July at his Hyundai Youth Football Camp, and he said, listen, my game benefits from Rhett Ellison. He's a technician with everything he does. He says, as far as blocking goes, he's the best tech, tech, uh, tactician, or sorry, technique-wise, he's the best blocker he's ever seen. And then, you know, you look at it, and Ellison ranked in the top 10 of pro football focuses run blocking last year. And when I talked to Ellison, too, which was actually last week at training camp on Tuesday, Ellison told me he saw a major, major jump with Evan Ingram from a blocking standpoint this summer so far. And he wants everybody to know that Evan Ingram right now is being talked about as just this receiving-only pass-first tight end. But a lot of people, he thinks, are underrating what he's capable of in becoming a complete uh, tight end. And he thinks that what Ingram does best and what people underestimate is that now he's finally learning that he can use his specific skill set to be a better blocker. Instead of trying to copy other blockers or, you know, using, you know, doing things that, you know, his body type won't allow him to do, he can use his quickness and his burst to actually, uh, you know, successfully execute different blocks. I think we started to see that last night. And to me, that was one of the things that really stood out. Uh, were there some other plays that you wanted to jump into, Nick, or anything else that really stood out to you before we kind of dive into another topic? One last point about Ingram that you yeah. that you crushed. When you block inside zone to the weak side and the two tight ends are blocking um, uh, the back side of that, uh, the play that we mentioned that Barkley broke for a big gain, the block doesn't have to be a mauling block downhill where you know he he. he creates like massive amounts of like space down the field it's more about making sure the guy does not have his basically will to go wherever he wants when the running back cuts back so it, it, it you're talking about athletic ability you're talking about lateral movement you're talking about burst you're probably going against a defensive end or an edge rusher that's you know of smaller size so you're not talking about blocking a defensive tackle so it's it's hitting on those specific things that take effort, detail, and a, you know, and a, and a, and, a, and a coaching staff that's emphasizing that. And I think they have that this year versus a kind of everyone's fitting their you know their, everyone's kind of like a you know whatever cog you are in the wheel like it was last year. Exactly right, Nick. And we got a lot to talk about here, but we have to jump into one of the most important things to talk about. Everyone's going to going to want to hear about. Davis Webb, and I know you did a lot of work on Webb and about his game. I want to make my points first, and then we're going to dive into you. We're going to let you take over, Nick, because you've actually done the work and went back and looked at these plays. I saw one look on it, but you know what? What I saw last night is exactly what what I was saying on Twitter for about three months span after the Giants were clearly in that two-hole for the number traffic and why I made the case so strong that I don't believe in Webb. I can only go by what I've seen from Webb at the collegiate level. I get it. He played in a basic offense. He's working hard. He's trying to learn the playbook. He's working with his trainer on his footwork and all those things. But you know what? Simply put, to me at least, and to a lot of people, Kyle Laletta looked a lot more game-ready last night than Davis Webb. And we got to remember something. Laletta, one of his calling cards in college, and one of the reasons people liked him as a prospect was that he's calm and collected in the pocket. He moves his feet well in the pocket. He doesn't have happy feet. He has good touch on his passes. And, you know, if not for that defensive pass interference, he could have connected on a long touchdown. That first throw, I thought that was a perfect ball. And we can get into what you think about that, Nick. What, actually, before I go a little deeper, what did you think about that first ball 
And just overall, what do you think about Laletta, who finished six of nine, 48 yards passing? More yards would have came if he had that, if that pass interference, uh, you know, what, you know, if the guy didn't interfere and that landed for a big completion. And you know, he's doing it all with third stringers. I, I want to know what you think about Laletta before we dive into Webb. Sure, I like it. I've, uh, I did a pretty, di- pretty big deep dive into Laletta's co- uh, college experience um, for a few months ago for Inside the Pylon. So pretty familiar with him there, and you know, it's a guy who is just. He real he's great footwork, tremendous rhythm, and he's he's at times over aggressive despite having you know throwing into tight windows often. Right. And I think that's what you saw a little bit last night. So I think the what, what, the first thing that jumped on me is is his mental processing at this level. Can he get that down? Because I think kind of like how you think he has he has a lot of the other things that'll fit the best in Shermer's scheme. So it comes if it comes down to whether when he makes those anticipatory throws, if he can have the right processing to know when to make them and to know not when to make them. Um, I like that fade that he threw. It was accurate. It was a good throw type. Um, not even accurate. It was it, it was good ball placement. And it just, you know, it was what it was. It was a preseason game where the, where the ball wasn't completed. Um, overall, he had he has good sound. I just I liked his decision-making overall. And I like his mobility and, and how fluid he is when he moves. So it's one of those things where I think for a young quarterback, they can move the pocket. They can get him in a bootleg where he's in you know, spots where he's very comfortable uh, to make his uh, to you know to to be an athlete basically, yeah, definitely. And you know what play actually stood out to me was, and you talk about the mental process, and that was another thing. You know, he works through his reads. That was another thing that worried me about Webb. He didn't have to make full field reads at Cal, and he really didn't make many of those reads. And like you said, the anticipatory throw, you see that from Loletta, especially in intermediate range on his college tape. From Webb, you see a lot of throws that are being made way after the receiver gets open. Instead of throwing the receiver open, he throws after that. And, you know, uh, the throw that really stood out to me for Loletta was the hitch on the left side, and I believe it was to Roger Lewis. That ball came out really, really quick. He processed it that fast, and I felt like the minute Lewis was getting out, you know, out of his break in that hitch, he caught the ball. What did you think about that play? Did that one stand out at all to you? A, a little bit. Um, it almost stood out more as a contrast to – People have to understand, I, I think, that, that the footwork drives the timing of these plays, how far okay. they drop and then versus what the route that they're throwing. You clearly saw with Letta there when he gets, you know, all these guys are nervous, right? Everyone's nervous. It's the, it's the, it's the beginning of the season. You know, they're, they're competing for jobs. It's very difficult. Right. And so he fall, he's a guy who falls back on footwork and looking to make kind of the right throw within the structure of the play. And like we said, it throws in anticipation to, for, for guys to get open in a rhythm and timing concept of a, of a route. What you see with, to, again, to kind of contrast it, what you see with Webb is a guy with a bigger, a much bigger, stronger arm who is used to, just as you said, kind of throwing it and kind of gunning it into positions where maybe the guys have been open for a few seconds. And at the college level, that, that totally works. At most levels, that totally works. At parts in the NFL and systems in the NFL, that works. But what you saw with, with Webb last night was just, when things kind of break down for him, his mechanics and some bad habits come back into play, and we can get into further we get further into this. Where you know, you see the inaccuracies accuracies coming. When I came and I looked at it a second time, I think the inaccuracies come from the bad habits that lead him to be behind, to be beats late in the in the in his reads, and when he comes through with the ball, he's he's basically rushing. I think. Yeah, and I mean, if you you know, well, here's the deal. Webb's been way ahead of Loletta in training camp practices. I've been there. I see it. He's getting all the second team reps, and Webb looks okay in practice, but doesn't look, you know, people talk about all these flash plays he's making in practice. They're, they're there. But you know what else is there? A lot of interceptions, and 
that's with no pass rush. Like I've been saying the whole time, just like you said, it's very different in live game action when the nerves are up and the pass rush is coming and the protection. And instead of the defensive ends having to hold up if they get through or having to just blow past uh, five yards behind the quarterback <laughs> into the backfield when they get through and when they beat the defensive end or defensive tackle, they're coming to get you and they're going to hit you and they're going to lunge at you and you're not going to be able to throw from such an even base unless you process it a lot faster. So that's what I that was what I warned about with Webb the entire pre-draft process when I was, you know, made my strong push that the Giants needed to draft a quarterback with their one chance really at the top to to pick, but they didn't do it. We have to move on from that, but just to go over a few more things with Webb and you could dive in back in if you want to or we can move on. I uh, you know, he went 9 he went 9 of 22 with 70 yards passing. 70 yards passing on 22 attempts were really, really bad, and especially when a lot of that yardage came on checkdowns to Wayne Gallman, a few, a few on third, third and long uh, plays. I know you talked about this online. Or I, I made a point on it on Twitter, and you retweeted, and we talked. You know, the the smash route concept, which we talked about on one of our first podcasts, they ran it real well, and Russell Shepard got wide open pretty much on uh, on this concept, and Webb made a really bad overthrow. He was there was a ton of space. This ball would have been a touchdown. You know, Shepard had two or three yards. And I'm not talking about the one deep into the end zone uh, later in one of those drives where it's kind of just a miscommunication. I'm talking about the one earlier uh, earlier on when they were kind of at their own 30, around their own 30th, and I don't 30-yard line, and I don't have the tape in front of me at this time. But, you know, what did, what did you think about the two deep balls, the two, uh, you know, deeper patterns that Webb missed? Yeah, you know, to, to really look at it um... – all these details matter within, like we said, the drops, the, how the quarterback steps after he gets the ball. All that matters because that determines basically where and how he's going to get the ball to the receivers. He has to time things up. That's that's how Shermer's offense is run. That, by the way, that's how like 90% of the NFL offenses yeah. are run. It's not just Shermer. Um, so what ends up happening here on these deeper balls is you're seeing him, and I guess people aren't familiar with this term. I should have probably backed into it on Twitter. Um, the term of, or the the, the kind of bad habit of burping the baby it's called with the football what that's what that is is when you're holding the football right near the center of your chest before you throw you kind of pat it real quick and then go into your motion right athletes obviously guys like to do that it's you know you can find examples in a golf swing of something to start your swing that's kind of what it's like it kind of charges his swing to get into his motion the problem is two things and well there's many there's a few problems in this league guys like there are so many people watching the tape for tendencies. They'll, they'll, this will be built into scouting reports to know that when he actually throws, he pat, he, he pats the ball. So defensive backs will start, will get big jumps on him. That is, that does not happen nearly as much at the college level. This individual scouting for, for a player at the personnel level in the NFL is out of control. So that is one thing that you know. Mark Schofield actually had a great piece on this uh, for Big Blue View, I believe, at that point, um, where uh, you know where he talks about this. It's like, is it the worst thing in the world? No, but it's something you want to get rid of. What I saw last night was that extra time that it took, seemingly, for him to pat the ball, may have caused him to be a beat late on a couple other throws uh, that I highlighted, like I said on Twitter, on the on the on the seam fade that you talked about, the smash concept. I think it hurt a little bit and what you saw was you saw him starting to lean a little to the left and drift in the pocket as he was going to the to to throws to his left and stuff like that starts to get disjointed when you're throwing into tighter windows <laughs> you, right. you need to have this has to be like as smooth as possible because like we said it can get very difficult with guys kind of crashing around you so i saw that that burp the baby habit have, uh, occur a few times even most on the last throw that you mentioned, um, the one to Khalif uh, Raymond, right, is his name? Yeah, it was Raymond, yes. So that was a corner route. And guys, 
kind of knocked Raymond for not being able to you know make an athletic move and catch the ball in the end zone. But if you break it down, he's seconds late in the, in the ball being out. Not seconds, but probably a second and a half right. late in the ball being out. And so it's a corner route that he then re- like basically leads Raymond up the field against cover right. two. Because and, he misses the corner route. Right. He misses the timing of the corner route. Right, exactly. And it was and to be fair, it was a, it was it was a, it was something that had to be exact basically spot on because um Raymond was running it from the outside receiver position. So he didn't have a ton of room before he hit the sideline. And again, these are the this is what Shermer likes to run. He doesn't need a guy that can throw it sixty yards down the field. And there's a lot exactly. of great there's a lot of great quotes of how many routes do you have do you know if they're 50 yards down the field right you know we know it takes i think the math is something like 1.8 seconds for an nfl receiver to to get to the 20 yard to get 18 yards downfield or whatever it is that's that's kind of the window that you're operating in before you're going to get pressure and we you know none of these guys want to get hit and so all that kind of uh, all that was working last or was not working last night and you know ultimately i what i like though about it is he did settle down he did during parts of the two-minute right. drill, he was able to get at least some level of rhythm. Um, and it's one of those things. We now have a baseline almost that you can try to see improvement on going forward. It doesn't mean one and a half quarters or whatever it was is not the end of a career in the preseason. Right. It's just what, what, you, what, what you and I keep on going back to. We have to see improvement from these things. That's the bottom line, right? He has to be able right. to make these rhythm throws. And if he doesn't, you know, it, 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 may, not, it may not work out here. Right, and I'm not going to harp on. We don't want to harp on it too much. I'm going to dive back into a positive. We'll try to go yeah. back and forth <laughs> to the positive and negatives. But I mean, I'm just going to say it. I mean, I this guy wasn't drafted by this regime, and I I just like I said during the pre-draft process, I'm not a big believer in people making major changes to some key components, some you know uh, what's it, foundations of their game. You know, this is a foundation of Webb's makeup as a quarterback these things are really 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 hard to fix and you don't have enough practice reps for it you don't have enough live game action reps for it it's just it's not easy to fix without those things if he had played all last season so let's say say Eli got hurt the first game of the season Gino got hurt and they said fuck it we'll just excuse my language screw it we're just gonna play web maybe we could have seen some improvement it's just tough there's just not enough reps anyway back to the good what I liked about this game was the Giants run defense and again you shouldn't be surprised to see such a dominant performance from the run defense when you consider what we talked about on the last podcast, which is a deep, super, super deep front seven, a rotation with tons of guys, six, seven guys they added this offseason to go along with Damon Harrison, B.J. Goodson, and Dalvin Thompson, and you saw it in action. I mean, two seasons ago, in 2016, the Giants had the third best run defense in the NFL. They let, let up 88.6 yards per game. Last season, they had the 27th best quotation marks because it was just trying to keep it on the same instead of saying the fifth worst or whatever. Run defense allowing 120.8 yards per carry. Last night, the Giants allowed 50 yards rushing on 33 attempts, one and a half yards per carry average. What was even more impressive to me is it wasn't just the first team unit shutting down the run. The second team unit, which had to go against Nick Chubb, who was one of my favorite backs in the entire draft, the guy who they clearly wanted to get going to Browns based on his usage. Well, they held him to 11 yards rushing on 15 carries, Tons of negative rushing yard games. Giants defense was in the backfield every play he was on the field for. The Giants defense was right there in the backfield. Big plays from several players on that run defense. We saw Robert Thomas. We saw Josh Morrow get in. That second team run defense, man, there's a lot of depth uh, on this Giants front seven. I think this run defense 
is the, sh- I'm, the if I'm going to give you one bold prediction for the Giants that I'm most sure about for the 2018 season, yes, I'll make it right now, Nick. Not based <laughs> on this first preseason game, but based on everything I've seen, is that this run defense is going to be back in 2018. It's going to be, again, one of the NFL's best run defense. James Betcher has only coordinated top nine run defenses in his three-year career. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I don't think that the Cardinals have had that much talent in their front seven to the point where that that's the, that's the reason why. So... What did you think? What did you see from the run defense? Is it, it? Do you think my bold prediction can come true when this could be another top five, top ten run defense? Yeah, I think especially too, and I don't have the stats right in front of me, but Betcher was able to get both levels of a 3-4 base defense uh, DVOA-wise very, very good last year uh, over at Football Outsiders. So, so what I'm saying is statistically, it's kind of rare to see both levels be like top six, I think it was at one point when I looked last season. And that that is a big deal for me coaching-wise where they're able to keep that in focus as they do everything else. I, I mean, this is mostly a – we're talking about a pass-heavy league, right? So it's almost like the run is neglected. And, you know, some say that's kind of a weakness. I think it's kind of a strength because it makes offenses one-dimensional. It's, it makes your, your defense face third and long statistically <clears throat> at a higher rate. And I think that's what the Giants' pass defense really needs to kind of help it out a little bit. Um, one guy who did flash a little bit <coughs> excuse me, in run, um, in run defense was Ray Ray Armstrong. And I hadn't had a chance to take a long look at him from last season's tape, but he's a real athlete who, uh, uh, he is very good in coverage, but um, really had good play speed, what I saw, mental processing to kind of get in the middle of the field, or as a middle of the field linebacker. And I just think that's going to be a nice third option uh, that they obviously need. And I think he's kind of, he, he stands out there. Yeah, no doubt. And, I, and here's the thing about Ray Ray Armstrong that a lot of people don't know. He's a guy who, um, you know, was pretty success, was pretty good college football player at Miami and just, you know, never found a good fit. And I think this defense is actually a really good fit for his specific skill set. So now we're going to transition back to the bad. Obviously, the Giants <laughs> secondary was not very pretty last night. A lot of people are crapping on Leonard Johnson for the long slant touchdown he gave to Callaway. I'm not going to hit Johnson hard for that one. You can tell me if I'm wrong, Nick, but I thought that was just a perfect dart, t- perfectly timed dart throw from from uh, from M- Baker Mayfield, who looked awesome last night, by the way, let's be honest, uh, to a receiver whose many people said was a first-round talent, dropped into the third round because of his off-field issues. Um, aside from that, I thought Johnson made a nice play from the slot to to a for, uh, on a pass breakup to force a punt earlier in the game. But just aside from Johnson in general, what did you see from the secondary? Because I know you pointed out a few things on Twitter um, about Darian Thompson, for example, and then Andrew Adams, I believe it was, later in the game. So kind of give me give me the breakdown of some maybe the alarming things we saw from the secondary. Yeah, I think a lot of it really just stemmed from issues that we saw last year as well. Um, again, this is like kind of nothing new. We're not rediscovering the wheel. Football is still football. This, the, the scheme is different. But, you know, I still saw Andrew Adams on the touchdown. I believe it was the was it the second touchdown to to uh, to David Njaku. Was he's just he was kind of caught out of position. He was bracketing um, he was bracketing the tight end on basically like a post or kind of like a drag route deep in the end zone and. For some reason, he, he he either was looking at the mesh concept, which was being run right in front of him, which I think that's what it was, or he was w- looking something at the, something drew his attention forward, and then he turned and had to turn all the way back around to to find that to relocate his tight end and stuff like that. As a center fielder in the red zone, is just it's not going to work. And he wasn't again; he wasn't exactly playing center field there. He was he was basically bracketing, but there was there was just very there was kind of fundamental kind of lo- like lapses. There was also a little bit of. 
I it's all a little bit of play calling issues. Um, not you know just not not perfect play calling within uh, within the structure. On the third and eighteen, the play that everyone kind of groaned on when uh, when Mayfield stepped up in the pocket and completed that post route to the um, to the formation side. You know that that side of the field was playing a version of cover three where. You know the guys kind of have to know. I believe the corners were. It was Adams was the safety. I think the corner was Webb. Um, just from a situational perspective, they kind of want to be closer to the sticks there, uh, right. playing cover three. They were playing basically cover three, like it was third and forty. And <laughs> I get the protection, but you know the the other the other point of this is there was no deep player to that side of the field, so they had no real distraction. The deep guys were going on the on the opposite side of the field on a divide route, so it was situational play call with like maybe not the greatest play call, but that version of cover three, um, just stuff that you're going to kind of iron out over time. The issues, kind of like what you mentioned, the slant route that was that was not ideal. I almost think the bigger issue there was not the corner, but the safety. The safety, yeah. the safety was back up, or, or not back up, but... Who was that, Orion Stewart? It was Orion Stewart, and he's competing for a spot. And so he's not going to make their roster, let's be honest. Right, but but what I see, though, is why I see parallels to last year with Darian Thompson taking right. four angles. And I know it's a new coaching staff, and I get all that, but it's one of those things you have to see the overall group has to get better. It has to be, They have to pick it up, because when you miss tackles in man, you've got a real problem. And, yeah. and you know, teams like the Eagles, and again, I... Shouldn't bring up the Eagles so much in this podcast, but teams like the Eagles—they weren't great tacklers and they won a Super Bowl. But guess what? If they were exposed, they they could get exposed for sloppy tackling, and that means big plays. Yeah, and, think about the times the Giants played them both times last year. Exactly, and so that's that's what you kind of see. It's 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 not it's not just them. It's kind of everyone when you play that level of man, and that's what Betcher is going to want to do. Um, man, yep. Yeah, and I think that the the, the thing that almost scares me more than this is a little bit of the linebacking core in coverage and guys are going to say hey Ogletree that Ogletree play was terrible and I almost think it was kind of the scheme again with with Darian Thompson over the top he was he took it he was a little late I mean can he really get there in reality I don't know but I think that mentally he's got to know that Ogletree is covering a very fast tight end one-on-one and from a tough angle, um, from the weak side linebacker position, or I think it was weak side, it may have been the strong side, I, I forget. But the point is that, you know, I think that mentally he's got to realize that, that his weakness that he has to help is on that side of the field, not on the opposite side of the field where the strong safety and the corner were. And so he was late on the play, and it was just a really easy touchdown. Um, I think those types of things are going to, you're going to have to see improvement there, bottom line up front. You know, you know these guys are going to be able to get after the quarterback. We know they're going to blitz. We know the pressure is going to come, but can the back end stand up? You know, the next three weeks are going to are being a good good indication of that. Yeah, we're going to have to see because, and again, remember though, Nick, and I'm sure you can confirm if I'm wrong on this, but we're not going to see all Betcher's blitzes in the preseason, right. and so you know that's going to play a big factor in mitigating some of the weaknesses in the secondary. Um, but you know, but you know, and, and maybe you know, maybe a glimmer of hope in addition to that is that maybe Curtis Riley, they really like what they've seen in practice so far, and if he can get that hamstring healthy. Maybe he's just the guy at safety, you know. Maybe he's the one who can who can take these better angles to the ball. Because I agree with you, there, you know, throughout all three levels—first team, second team, third team—you really saw some bad angles taken by these safeties, and that was an issue, like you said, for the Giants last season. And you, you know, it really can't afford to be an issue again because it led to a ton of big plays. Um, I want to ask you something too, just if you saw this from a schematic standpoint. You know, the Giants gave up incredible amounts of. Of touchdowns to the tight end position last year. It's really been an issue for this defense for years and years and years. Um, they gave up big plays against the tight end last night, two touchdowns to David Joku. 
what do you think? Was that more of a schematic breakdown? Was that the Giants not showing everything they want to on defense? Was that the players getting lost? And what, what what were the issues there? Yeah, I think we kind of we kind of just touched upon the two. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would I would kind of say lapses in coverage, and then from last year. Um, I don't want to. Well, pick... I just mean where they like we touched upon them in specific plays, but you think this is something you know? So more more so, you're going to blame. Is it the safeties on those? Would you say? Yeah, and that's okay. where I, I didn't want to like pick on anyone. Because from... I'm worried if it was out, if it's you know, if you're going to say okay, it's the safeties, or you know, is Alec Ogletree also going to be an issue in coverage? So they can't afford for that to be the case. Yeah, and that's kind of what I am kind of getting at a little bit. Okay. I, I think that's what. Look, I think one of the better parts about me about this podcast versus others is we're going to kind of get into all. Get into everything and kind of look for the truth, right? Like, we're going to look for, like, the Giants, like every team, has weaknesses. And I think their linebacking core coverage-wise, whether it be Goodson, Ogletree, or even, at times, Collins covering the tight end, uh, you know, against some faster tight ends... I, that that that's a tough matchup, and that's a t- that's a matchup that they're going to have to do some things. I think, especially over the middle of the field, where they're basically bracketing or some level of double teaming over the middle of the field until maybe right. maybe Ray Ray Armstrong steps up because we know he has the athletic ability, in my opinion. To from what I saw last night, like I think he can cover guys. I think that yeah. and I think Ogletree does, but it's not consistent enough yet, at least on tape from last year. Um, he has the speed to do it. I think it's just. You know the guy's doing a lot. I think from I think he's in a much better position this year than he was last year, and we talked about that last time. I love Goodson in in zone coverage. I think in zone coverage, I think he's very good. Um, I think he's got really good awareness. I think he's got really good recognition. I think he's quick. But if you ask him, I think to cover you know a, a tight end on an out route or an option route, you know that that just gets a little. <laughs> you want to get the pressure there first, and so I think that's something that again I think tar- I think teams are going to target that. But again, there's there's ways to get around this. Yeah, very interesting. Um, just a few more points on my end, and then you can kind of wrap it up, too. We'll just kind of wrap this, again, just a quick reaction show. I'm going to dive into some. Feel free to jump in at any point and then share anything else you took away. thought it was interesting how disciplined the Giants came out last night from a penalty standpoint. Yep. Only four penalties all game for 33 yards. You, you contrast that with the Browns, who committed 13 penalties for 141 yards. <laughs> so, you know, that's something that Pat Shermer said he wanted to make a commitment to, having clean football and not to having too many penalties. Um, I don't know if there was anything you wanted to add there. Yeah, but. no, I mean the, the the two they had what they had two unsportsmanlike uh, the Browns had two unsportsmanlike con- uh, right. penalties in the first like four minutes. I mean, yeah, you're seeing a con- you're, there's a different ship being run now, and there's a conscious effort to yeah look let's just say it, to do the, to do things the right way. <laughs> it really is. I mean, yeah. you, you can see it on the ta- on the small amount of tape right now. You can totally see it. Can you believe it? <laughs> just made me think about what we saw that <laughs> very very opposite from that Browns coaching staff, at least what they showed us on HBO. I couldn't believe they aired that. Some of what we saw, like the, 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 the it was cringeworthy watching Todd Alien and uh, and Hugh Jackson in the in the you know in the in the meeting room talking about the offense and talking about playing injured players. But yeah, yeah, well, too much. yeah, no, Dan. What Dan's just for real quick background for guys that don't have HBO or didn't see it. Dan's talking about um, an internal meeting that obviously HBO was recording where Haley basically called out. <laughs> the the normal way of doing things for the Browns is basically letting players not practice if they didn't want to practice. And basically Jackson kind of giving a different perspective, saying, hey, like we want to have these guys available when they're available. And like just super awkward. <laughs> so bad. In Jackson's final point like to, was just basically like, I'm the coach. I used to be in your position when I used to sit there. Right. And so um, it's my way. I'm the coach. And Haley's like, all right, I guess. And, you know, you just see like... 
It's the dumbest Browns team, man. I, I like the upgrades they made in talent. I mean, this is not a Browns podcast, so this will be the end of this. But right. I like the upgrades they made in talent. But I can't bet on a team that has a coaching staff like that. I hate the offensive coordinator, Todd Haley. <laughs> I hate Hugh Jackson even more. I think he's the worst coach in the NFL. And I really don't like Greg Williams. The same guy who just like screaming at his players. The same guys who were some of the guys who returned. Like that message can't be getting across. And this is a guy who played Jabril Peppers like. 30 yards off the ball in some kind of weird deep safety roll last year that clearly didn't work. It's just, it's just like, it's a mess there. But anyway, just to touch on a few more points, that was just kind of the, to, you know, to compare and contrast kind of the penalties from that standpoint. Um, but just a few other things that made, that stood out to me, and then we can dive into you. How about Chad Wheeler? I thought Chad Wheeler actually looked pretty good last night. Um, you know, looked better as a left tackle. They mixed him in at left on the left and the right side. But you know, I didn't have much hope for Wheeler going into this game, even though he did put together pretty good game tape last year when they used him at left tackle, really bad game tape at right tackle. And he does have, like, those nat- that those good natural feet. Um, but I thought he looked pretty good last night from my first uh, run through the game. I'm going to have to rewatch it. I'm going to take a major focus on Wheeler uh, based on that. But what did you think about Wheeler? Did you get a chance to look at him at all? I, to be honest, I really didn't. I saw, okay, a, co- no I saw, I saw a couple plays. So, so, you know, like, again, I think it all kind of, we need to see more consistency from that from that second line period, right? And and I think we're I think we're going to get it as 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 the uh, with especially with the current coaching staff as the uh, as as the, the games go along. Yeah, and then one last point for me, and then you could jump in with anything else, and we'll wrap it up here. Um, it's just you know Wayne Goldman, Jonathan Stewart, man, oh man, I, I I can't foresee too many snaps where I want Jonathan Stewart on the field in 2018 if I was head coach in New York Giants. I would want Saquon Barkley on for. Close to the Le'Veon Bell-like role. That's just me. And then Wayne Gallman for every other snap. I mean, Wayne Gallman looked so much quicker and more decisive, so much better in the receiving game uh, than Jonathan Stewart. Uh, so, I don't know. What did you think you saw there? Do, can we have any hope for Stewart, or is that just going to be end up being probably the worst signing of the offseason? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about the worst. I think that you know the, the intangibles maybe that he brings and and the familiarity to you know for for Barkley. There's stuff that maybe we're going we're right. going on and and I'm not just some permeable on Stewart, but I think the other side of it is you know now for camp these guys are really finding out who can add value down the stretch. And if this team ends up you know eight and eight, like th- these type of marginal players, guys that you know you know maybe aren't really talked about that much. I'm talking about guys like Wayne Gallman. Like, they're probably going to play a bigger role. I mean, no one played a bigger role in the Super Bowl than Corey Clement. And he was right. an undrafted free agent that basically no one knew at this point last year. Um, so you look at stuff like that, and I think it's, I think, you know, these battles are going to be interesting to watch. But but the points on Gallman, I think, are right. And and who was the, I, this is so bad, I wasn't even realizing who the third string running back was. He flashed to me as well. Oh, yeah, dude. The third and fourth, or I guess it's, third or fourth and fifth string running backs. Yeah. Both, first of all, they've both been great throughout camp. We're talking about Jalen Simmons, who was with the, they signed him earlier this year before the before free agency. And then the rookie undrafted free agent Robert Martin. Simmons looked really good before yeah. he got hurt. And then Martin came in and looked really good as well. Both averaged seven yards per carry. Um so both those guys have actually looked really good in training camp as well. So those are interesting names to keep an eye on. Are they special teams guys too? Because I'm seeing a theme that they're that they're bringing on good special teamers too yep. to basically guarantee their spot, and that's it. That's the way you build a team. I mean, like because you're, we're, there, there's going to be injuries. You can't avoid that. We can't yep. expect Barkley to be there 90 percent of the time or whatever it is. You have to be ready. And and yeah, no, I'm, I'm I, I definitely am seeing good things or more conscious things versus just paying for flashy personnel uh, or you know position players. Yeah, and then just one last thing we're going to dive into, just a real quick thing. Pat Shermer kind of gave an update on the injuries from last night's game uh, today in the afternoon during his conference call. So we got 
a hamstring injury for Darian Thompson. If you if you noticed, he came out of the game. He got injured actually on a special teams play, so that wasn't ideal. But he, you know, there's no timeline yet for that injury, but hopefully that one's not too long because, as you said, he's got a lot of work to do to try to win that job, try to win that free safety job. And then injury to uh, defense end Christian Sokoli, who actually was looked pretty interesting in training camp. Obviously, it's an incredibly deep defensive line, and it's going to be tough to, or, you know, front seven, it's going to be tough to make the roster, but he was, he's was he been pretty solid. And then Jordan Williams, the outside linebacker, who was with the team last season uh, and actually had a really good tra- uh, preseason. Um, he uh, is in the concussion protocol after taking a hit from Orson Charles. Uh, uh, it was a low hit. Uh, it was a helmet hit, actually. He was called for the 15-yard hem- uh, helmet penalty the first of the game. So that's what we got on the injury front. Otherwise, nothing too crazy, and that's good news because, you know, if these injuries can come at any time, awful news today for the Washington Redskins. Yeah. Second-round pick, Darius Geis, out for the year with the 20CL, and he was my number two overall back in that draft because loved watching his game tape. So that's a shame. Um, also was one of my fantasy football targets, a guy who was going to get almost no matter what. So there, there's another reason why that went well. But more, more importantly, I feel bad for him in his career. You know, he was really take, taking well to the Washington area. So hopefully – he can come back good. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Nick, before we jump off and I, I give a quick recap of what's to come? I think I can't uh, can't not say the recent signing of Monmouth safety Mike Basile. Is it, is it Mike Basile or Mike Basile? I don't even know. I how think to... it's Mike Basile, but I actually don't honestly know. Yeah, so and so he's a guy who I haven't had a ton. There's not a lot of tape on for the Monmouth uh, University yeah, Hawks. <laughs> there's a couple of games, and but he's a guy that again I think this is like a wide open competition. I think he'd be an okay strong safety for the practice squad at least type thing. And you know for this depth is depth, and uh, he's a guy who can, who can uh, certainly he was I think he was the all time tackler at Monmouth. Um, Wow. And uh, so one of those types of one of those types of guys where like you know he was six one one eighty five I think he's like Matthew's size uh, out in Arizona <laughs> Matthew's size I should say out in Arizona so you know someone who you know is it that player right away obviously not but it's something where you got to give the shout out because uh, you know I, I like the move for depth here would be really interesting to me if he actually could beat out the safety valve because remember there's also Sean Chandler who's been really good in camp and he's <laughs> even he's buried on that safety depth chart because there's a lot of just a lot of bodies competing there but yeah give him a shout out because why not all-time leading tackler Monmouth local local kid so good luck to him um anyway guys thanks for tuning in for this quick rea- rapid reaction podcast and I'm excited to say I've got a, a little bit of a big plan next week for the for our podcast because um our our Lions Detroit Lions on 24-7 sports writer and reporter Max Demera, a guy who I'm really good friends with, probably the nicest guy at my company, is going to be at Lions training camp, and he's going to be there for the joint practices with the Giants next week. I believe the joint practices are going to be Tuesday through Thursday before the team's uh, second preseason game in Detroit against the Lions on Friday evening. So he's going to jump on the podcast with us. Hopefully, I'm, I'm planning, hopefully, Nick, and, and we can we can hammer these details out after the pod, but for Wednesday after he has like a couple of days at practice there to see what's going on, but he's going to give us some thoughts from practice on what he's seeing. And we're going to try to preview that Lions game. So uh, on that note, um, never great at these sign offs. Every time I play back the podcast, I always notice I wish I had a better sign up, but on that note, I'm just going to throw it to Nick. Um, again, guys, remember last thing, last thing. If you guys do enjoy the podcast, do us a favor. I actually got some details. I know I've been talking about it on every podcast, but I finally started to learn what iTunes is looking for to push us up that giant podcast list and they're actually looking for subscribe so if you do enjoy this podcast 
subscribe if you're already subscribed to it. It'll give you updates when the new ones come out. And then tell your friends about it so they can subscribe too. Uh, Nick, do you want to add anything and sign off? No, the normal stuff. You can find me at tmanic21. Anything that we talked about mostly today is on Twitter. If any other any questions, questions for us here, ask them there. Um, we'll go from and we'll we'll get it on. Yeah, and if you got, again, if you guys like what Nick's what Nick's talking about with this game tape breakdowns, go to his Twitter. He puts a lot of good stuff out there. He had about five, ten clips from last night's game that were awesome that I rewatched this morning for this pod. So uh, definitely check us out there. And on that note, go Giants and have a great weekend.